What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Professional Athlete Podcast. I'm your host, Ken Gunter, and we have got a barn burner today. We are joined by Gavin McMillan. He is the president and founder of Sports Science Lab. Uh, he works out of Irvine, California. I, I don't know how else to say it, but quite frankly, he and his team have been and still are on the absolute forefront of sports performance and recovery space for quite some time. And quite frankly, in many respects, he and his team have been doing things that for a long time would be considered to be ahead of their time. So if you were to ask Gavin why that is, he would probably tell you that that's ridiculous because everything he does is based and validated in research and not his personal philosophy as he uh, corrects me <laughs> during the show. Gavin and his team, uh, you know, they're not ones to name drop, so I will gladly do that for them. Uh, he has worked with numerous elite athletes who have reached the pinnacle of their sport. Uh, boxing world champions, UFC world champions, NBA slam dunk champions, all pro NFL players, MLB, NHL. I mean, the list goes on and on. And to be completely transparent, I actually worked out with Gavin the summer of my sophomore year in college. So that's how I found out about him. We talk a little bit about how I met him, how I wandered into his weight room and he, he took me under his wing. But one of the th reasons that I want to bring him on the show is their approach to sports performance really flies in the face of what a lot of traditional programs are doing across the country. Their entire setup is completely unique. There's not a traditional Olympic weight in there. So no squatting, no cleaning, no traditional bench pressing, yet he continues to churn out just top tier athletes every single year. And one of the things that's most fascinating about what he and his team are doing out there is a lot of times when they get these athletes in their doors, it's because they're rehabilitating from some injury. In some cases, from a sport perspective, catastrophic. And uh, on multiple occasions, he's been able to help um, you know, recuperate those athletes, get them back to where they were before, and in some circumstances, actually increase their athleticism, which is just a testament to his training program. So we dive a lot into that. So if you're someone who's just interested in an alternative uh, fact-based, scientific-based approach to sports performance. You're really going to enjoy this one. If you're someone who is uh, dealt or currently dealing with some sort of injury, ACL tears, meniscus tears, whatever it may be, this is another really good one to tune into. And you'll also tell that that Gavin does not pull any punches, which I absolutely love. I think that's a byproduct of, you know, one, just he's going to shoot you straight. But two, um, it comes from years of having to defend his approach, which uh, quite frankly, again, based in scientific research, maybe he shouldn't have to do that to the extent that he does. But it's tremendously interesting. I thought it was a great conversation and I know listeners are going to get a ton out of it. With that, again, I keep saying this till I'm blue in the face, but to everyone who's reached out with positive feedback, really, really grateful for it. I'm glad you're enjoying the show. Please feel free to drop us a line. Um, you can reach us at prof.athlete.podcast at gmail.com. If you want to shoot me an email, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Or if you want to recommend someone for the show, those are always welcome. If you just want to let us know how you're enjoying it, we really appreciate that as well. Uh, if you'd be so kind, whichever platform you're listening to the show in, give us a follow. And if you're listening in Apple, go ahead and leave us a rating because that helps us grow the show. Also helps us attract new listeners and guests. So we'd be super appreciative of that as well. And if you want to follow along with the help of my lovely wife, Sonia, we are building out our Instagram account. 
we're getting a little bit better at it. But uh, the goal of the Instagram is to provide content that relates back to the topics that we touch on in the show. So a lot of it is going to be workout based. Some of it's going to be personal, but we're trying to just give another outlet for a lot of these new ideas that we're kind of getting exposure to. So we're going to continue to get better at that as well. If you want to follow us there, it is at the underscore professional athlete and give us a follow. Let us know what you're thinking. So with that, without further ado, let's welcome Gavin to the show. I gotta get up. I got too much to do. Yeah, I gotta get going. I gotta talk to you. It's time to start the show. <laughs> so, full disclosure, I went and worked out with you at Sports Science Lab when it was at. Um, yeah, Jay Sarah, is that Mission Viejo, right? Well, it's just uh, San Juan Campus, Ronald. Thank you, San Juan Campus. I should know. I lived there for a summer. Uh, so that's how I met you. And the, the way I found you was I was working with a quarterback coach in the area, and we were using the field. And I, I think I had to use the bathroom. And I was stumbling my way through the facility, and I just happened right. to peek in. And I think at that time you were training Troy Palomalu. And yeah. I didn't see a single uh, traditional Olympic weight anywhere to be found. What I saw instead, and I definitely want you to explain kind of what I'm trying to describe, but, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, a bunch of like plyometrically engineered machines, um, Mm -hmm. where guys are just, I I don't know how to describe it besides like springboarding, Mm uh, you know, upper body lifts, lower body lifts, and everyone in there was just seemed to be flexible, quick twitch. And Mm -hmm. I was like, what is going on in here? So I, I think I, I walked in, introduced myself to you and said, how do I work out with you next summer? Right. Um, and, you know, but as we kind of lead into your philosophy, um, I had leaving that after, I think, three months, I'd not never been faster. No? <laughs> no, not my philosophy. Okay. Oh, I would love no. to hear about that then. Okay. No, but, uh, that's not know. my philosophy. And like this, this is our place is based on, on science, not philosophy. That's what I was just saying. That's the problem with the whole business. Well, so let's talk about that. Yeah, so Verkashansky, his work it was done in Russia over a 30-year period. So he's, you know, his, he's a sports scientist that what he did in his lifetime, nobody is ever going to do again. Hmm. The, the, the quantity in terms of what they did, what they tested, how they went about it, you've got an entire government behind it, athletes to test, the staff to, to get, collect the data. Um who has the time for that? I have no shot at it. We don't have the staff, the resources, nothing to pull that off. And what so, was he by, by, by trade? Was he well, was a, a scientist? scientist? Yeah. yeah. Sports scientist. And that was he, in the Soviet union, right? Correct. And he's, okay. uh, he, even though they use conventional ways to put a foundational strength platform on people, he openly acknowledged how much it screwed them up. And hmm. he systematically proved that heavy maximal weightlifting negated speed and power. Remember, the testing that's, uh, that people are doing, um, whether you're using a force plate, which isn't going to tell you much, um, then you're left with uh, athletic tests such as a vertical 40-time um, uh, broad jump, the type of things they test at a combine. Well, what right. he was doing originally is the first test group they did is he took a, he had a, people sit in a swing, and they would, they would jump into a wall and jump off it. 
And they did that for whatever period of time that was. And I don't want to say, cause I, I don't remember the exact, it's six to eight weeks, something like that. Yeah. You had your test group of guys doing squats at the same time. And the guys doing the stuff on the swing absolutely dwarfed what the guys doing the heavy squats were. And, and when what, was, what was this like swing apparatus? Can you kind of explain? It just hung from the roof and you jumped off a wall. Oh, got So like they sat in the swing and they were just jumping. Oh, I got you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Huh. Interesting. So that, that whole concept is where the throw offs came from that we use on a plyometric strength machine. We lay a guy down and he has to throw the weight from one leg to the other. It's right. cyclical. It's cyclical. Yeah. Well, most yeah. strength, strength training is done acyclically. You're standing still. Where in sports do you stand still and produce force like that? Right. And by Never. cyclical, by cyclical, do you one mean? One leg to another. One leg yeah. to another. Yeah. Even cyclical would be jumping in place with two legs or running. Anything that is a continuous movement. And the yep. way a human produces force when they're moving and power is completely different than when you're standing still acyclically. Because mm-hmm. that is that is dominated by the concentric movement, the up. Right. Whereas the cyclical movement is dominated by your ability to store elastic energy and heat in the tendons, eccentrically, yeah. like yeah. a kangaroo or anything else. It's why in a depth jump you can jump higher than you can from a static jump. Yeah. Because you can use the energy it 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 allows the tendon to stretch and snap everything back. Yeah. I remember and- the, Remember, people people are are basing this whole model on on the sliding filament theory. The Herzog, the professor at University of Calgary, pretty ten years ago, that was wrong. Interesting. Muscles when they are under compression and 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 load, we're they grow radially. Okay. They swell. We pump up, right? Yeah. Would you say that's true? I would say that is very true. And in fact, okay. that's, that's what a lot of people go to the gym for. <laughs> Correct. Correct. To get that pump. Yeah. However, when it comes to sports performance, all the forces are actually tr- transmitted longitudinally. So you have a muscle that's growing this way that actually you transmits force for movement this way. They're opposite. Okay. So it destabilizes the joint. Hmm. You're, and you're not growing new muscle, man. Can't. You swell up the muscle you have. That's why it goes away the second you stop doing it. It's compressionary. You're tearing the surface area. You blow it up. That's why it sucks you when you pump and you're under compression like that. When you tear it, the fluid gets squeezed out. Okay. You suck more in. Hmm. Everyone, that's what everyone's after, right, is the pump? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So mass in itself acting like it has a, a positive influence on sports performance, again, that's just categorically false. Hmm. We t- when we take when we test the linemen in for the NFL combine, we right. test them all right now on uh, because the machines I have at work right now, the only thing we can test is velocity. That's okay. about the, that's going to change. That's another subject, but the we will test all of them at, on a hundred pound weight on what they can lay down and throw with their legs. So yeah. in the theory of of the conventional weightlifting, the heavier weight you you can lift, uh, you should be able to move the lighter weight easier and faster. Correct. Right. Yeah. They're I mean, you, you would think so. The yeah. No, they're the slowest every time. So you said something that I think is really important for people to understand. And, mm-hmm. um, in my, my first podcast, we introduced the idea of, uh, triphasic, uh, 
you know, training by Cal Dietz as you smirk. But um, I think it's good because it kind of gives a frame of reference of this idea of uh, eccentric motion, Mm -hmm. isometric, and then Mm -hmm. contraction, right? So Mm -hmm. to kind of take a step back when you're talking about, hey, if if what you're trying to get better at is sprinting, Mm -hmm. right? Doing just like a static lift, that's not going to translate. So it sounds like what you're doing with these plyometric strength machines is you're saying, hey, let's actually move our body in a cyclical way that's going to mimic how we run. Correct. And what's, and what's important is, and, and I, I want to try and describe these plyometric strength machines for folks. Like before we started, I was talking about the, the old red super cat machine that I think mm-hmm. a lot of people probably had in their high school. Mm-hmm. Is it fair to say that what you're using still looks similar to that? It kind of mm-hmm. has the two arms that come out with the shoulder pad type mm-hmm. uh, at the end. Okay. And then, yeah. so with your guys, are you, if I remember correctly, what you're doing are you still setting them up on like a still stability ball? So they're laying back on a stability ball. They lay on a, they lay on a ramp or a board and the stability okay. ball goes underneath their back. Yeah. And so they'll throw it from one leg to the other and we'll vary the load from something light 45 pounds up to something greater than their body weight. Hmm. But the, the, the community, like within those machines, there's something else that has to be delineated. We are okay. in, a, in the strength community are training people across every sport with weightlifting now. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. okay. Completely. So if you take a kayaker or a swimmer who are actually have to move less than their body weight and what they're doing, how can you justify training them under heavy external load when that's what they're being asked to do? The sports aren't delineated into below body weight, body weight, basketball, soccer, volleyball, and above body weight contact Mm -hmm. sports like rugby and football where you actually have to move another external object. So what's not delineated at all is what is the difference between force, which is mass times acceleration and power, which is force times velocity. The entire strength community, regardless of sport is pushing force. Well, as the force goes higher, the acceleration goes down. And Mm -hmm. as the acceleration declines, the velocity goes to next to nothing. So your power is cut dramatically. So now what we can, we've found now and can prove, even though we've had it sitting there for 15 years, because I started working on this technology um, probably 14, 15 years ago and understanding that we needed a way to stop this BS that goes on in our business of people's opinions and philosophy. We needed a way to actually measure all the nine types of different strengths. Nine types? There's nine, but what, what Dietz is talking about and he he, conceptually he's right. The understanding of the muscle actions, which are eccentric, isometric and concentric. So concentric is the up motion on a bench press, right? The, the pushing and to your point, that's what most people are training when they do just like a static uh, vertical jump, right? That's all. Well, mostly, mostly concentric. And then when you're dealing with, when you're dealing with, plyometric movements, what enhances running and jumping is actually the ability to use the eccentric to generate the force. Yes. Going down to generate the force concentrically. Right. And, and it, that now you're involving the elastic properties of the tendon, which are way more dominant than the muscle. Hmm. And where this ultimately is going to get, get turned on its head is because people can't prove one way or another, whether it's the fascia taking the predominance of the load because it sure as hell ain't the muscle. 
Hmm. It's, it's going the wrong direction when they do that. And that's where I think there aren't enough people um, in the strength community that know this talking. And all you're yeah. listening to is, is essentially this meathead concept that that's going to improve athletic on, you know, performance. Why, why in the NHL, when you go back 20 years ago, you, you getting soft tissue injuries or ACLs or anything else, just unheard of. Okay. Absolutely unheard of. My, my high school football team in four years, I only got to play two of it because I was playing hockey at the same time. And you're not, you know, you're not playing two contact sports according to my father. And, and, um, <laughs> nobody, nobody tore their ACL. There wasn't a single girl in the school that tore ACL playing soccer. None yeah. of this stuff was going on. Right. And so why is it now? What's changed? They're bigger, faster. Somehow that's what's doing it. No one's asking the question. How does somebody blow their ACL without contact, just running down a field? Yeah. That's all that happens every week. No, all the time. Okay. I so there has, I, I, there has to be something wrong. The joint has to be either destabilized already. Okay. Right? Or it's back to what I said before is that this very system that we say is enhancing everybody else is actually doing something negative to them. Think, think, it, of, think, of, think of a door and how it's attached to a wall. Okay. Has three hinges, right? Usually. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Let's just say for argument's sake, the door weighs a hundred pounds. If I double the mass of the door, it's 200 pounds. Is there more strain on the hinges? Uh, I think so. <laughs> yeah. It just, it just doubled. Right. Okay. Now if I move that door ballistically, I'm going to now expose what that, that, uh, destabilization, that hinge has happened. Yeah. Would you would not say that's true. Yeah, because you basically there's there's the, now the to support more mass. Yeah. Well, it has to be more fast, and now I introduce velocity to it. Hmm. So now the power of what it, what is affected to that hinge is dramatically increased. Yeah. So what we can prove now is the fact that the higher you trace force, your power is is cut, and it takes no more than twenty pounds, and it's cut by eighty percent. Hmm. And usually, people's optimal power is somewhere below their body weight. 70, 80% or so, because how are people, how are you measuring rate of force development? How are you measuring force? How are you measuring F max? How are you measuring power, decelerating strength? All those things that actually go into play in human yeah. movement. We're not doing that in this country. It's not even close. What we're saying is that somebody who squats 600, 700 pounds is going to be your best athlete. That's never the case. Yeah. Not ever. You know, obviously I worked with Marmarinish for years and he has a very controversial name, but what people don't understand about him is when he worked predominantly for the Raiders, what Al Davis had him doing was going and evaling athletes in every single D1 school across the country. Hmm. Every single school he went to, whoever held the weight records, played the least, hurt the most, never the best vert, never the best 40, never the best uh, 5, 10, 5s. It, it never happened. Yeah. It's 130 schools over a 10 year period. And no one will ever know that about him because of, you know, unless you knew him, you wouldn't know that's what he was doing. And obviously there's so many other things that goes with his name. Right. But he systematically proved there was something wrong with the system. Hmm. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I got to know Marv a little bit over that summer and, mm -hmm. uh, he was fantastic to work with and to mm -hmm. add to what you were saying, I can't remember how old he actually was at that time, but he was still an absolute physical specimen. Well, he, 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 people won't not understand about him. He, it, in the modern day UFC and the heavyweight div division, 
when he was 25 years old, he'd kill all these guys. Yeah. Every, every one of them. He was California state wrestling champion, heavyweight. When right. he was eight, 18 years old, he was fighting bare knuckles for money in uh, Northern California, never lost. <laughs> the US, US, U.S. Army, U.S. Army, they stopped letting him fight in the heavyweight division on the West Coast because they had to resuscitate the last four guys he fought. Jeez. So he fought like Tyson, so he kept his head, hands right close to his, his jawline, head down. He was yeah. 265, 5% body weight. And he would just take whatever shot you gave him coming in until, and go after your body at great hooks. Yeah. 15 years ago, I used to, he, he, he could still thunder it on a heavy bag. He, he bruised my ribs through the heavy bag. I believe it. So, yeah. No, and and I mean, you're right. His, his name is controversial. Um, but in it, listen, in his, in his defense and seeing me, uh, trust me, I've seen him at his worst and it's bad. Yeah. It's bad. In yeah. his defense, he is a modern day case of CTE. Hmm. They, they were taught to hit people with their forehead. You right. actually grab the guy and drove your head up into his face. And when yeah. you had all that with his, however you want to classify CTE, whatever, because he's, he's in a home now in, in uh, Mission Viejo. And, yeah. um, and, and, you know, obviously it's, it's sad no matter how you look at it. He sure. also had an extraordinarily kind side to him, but the dark side obviously, obviously dominated that for him. And he ended up not in a position, you know, with that's, that's very good. Yeah. Conceptually yeah. what he tried to do, um, because remember that guy squatted 1250 pounds, three reps. Did he really? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, like the, the, the tall tales of Marv, the tall tales of Marv Marinovich yeah. was one of my favorite pieces of working out there. Yeah. Yeah. He must, I feel like he was in his sixties mm -hmm. and he was still doing everything else. He was asking all of his guys, you know, who were in the gym yeah, with us. He was, running. You know, I couldn't run his knees were too messed up then and stuff, but you know, in the, like I said, in the fight business, geez, he missed his, he missed a, he was born in the wrong era. Really? Yeah. He is just born for it. Like, if you want to take that guy on, good luck. So, yeah, yeah, but I believe he, that. You know, he's he. You know, he, the concepts of trying to improve athleticism. I think that's what. You know, he's one. He's a person I learned a lot from, and also learned a lot of what not to do. Mm. Um, you know, we, I've been fortunate that way of running into people in in periods of your life that um, really are are different. So, you know, Monica Sellis, I worked for her briefly years ago when she was coming back. Her dad is really, really smart and hmm. really great understanding of human biomechanics and okay. especially, especially how it applied to tennis. Yeah. So he, he, you know, I have always had an obsession with mechanics, how to run, how to jump. Right. Um, I could dunk a basketball when I was five foot eight. I was a very fast hockey player and stuff. And I really obsessed with how people do things because I really wanted to be good at it myself. Yeah. And really what we've tried to do is just, there has to be a pursuit of excellence across whatever you do. If you're in this business, we're fortunate. Like our business started out training kids, getting them ready for college. And then somebody starts hearing about some of the changes you're able to make. And next thing you know, you have a pro in there or a couple of them and it spreads, right. but it's taken 20 years. Yeah. What, ha what happens in our business is like the training side of it is people are just, they use success through association as their justification mm. that they're good. So pro athlete comes in your place and well, he got trained by him. He must know what they're, what he's doing. There's nothing further from the truth. 
Yeah. And what we've really tried to separate ourselves on is no matter who you are, whether you're a 14 year old trying to make your high school soccer team or a um, kid from Dayton, who's a phenomenal tight end trying to make it to the pros, we don't treat them any differently and yeah. take each person um, just as seriously as the next and trying to help them achieve whatever their goals are. Because very few of them are ever going to make it to the, you know, to a level where you're going to see them on TV. Yeah. No, and I, I, I can attest to that. My time spent at the gym. Um, that yeah. was exactly my experience. And, you know, when I came back, I guess that was my sophomore season. Mm-hmm. Everyone was like, what the hell happened to you this summer? And I just, yeah. I was faster, jumped higher. Right. You know what I mean? It was, it was a big difference. And unfortunately I didn't find my way back out on the West coast because, you know, you got to stay around the program and there's, there's a number of things involved, but um, yeah, noticeable, noticeable difference in, mm-hmm. you know, the results I got from what you were doing at, at sports science lab. So, so let me ask you this, mm-hmm. um, man, and, and where do you even start? Cause I, I want to dive back into something you said about all these ACL injuries, mm-hmm. because I I've had a number of people actually reach out to me after just the initial shows that we've done saying, Hey, like, you know, I'm dealing, I'm trying to recover from X or I did this to my knee and you know, what's the best way to get back into it? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you seem to, I wouldn't say specialize, maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but mm-hmm. you seem to have had uh, incredible success helping rehab athletes, uh, right. especially at the elite level, right. um, to my understanding, you know, recover from injury, but maybe even in some circumstances, like surpass the abilities they had before they got injured. Correct. Can you, can you maybe talk a little bit, um, about, about your approach to helping folks recover and maybe mm-hmm. even, uh, I guess what's most important is like why the approach that you're taking, and I'm not going to call it a philosophy. I won't make that mistake again, based in, uh, the data and science, like why you think that is contributing to like the high recovery rates that you're seeing and the low injury rates. Well, first off, because our training system is our rehab system. They're, they're the same. Mm. The only thing, the only thing that's different in it is the, the amount of load that you're going to vary. So okay. let's, let's take an ACL because that's the simplest one. And it's so, it's such a epidemic. It's an epidemic among females. Now it's so common among football, basketball players, um, if you're taking a joint that is dominated by four ligaments, so your ACL, your PCL, your LCL and your MCL. So you've got your two primary ligaments in the knee that crisscross your ACL and your PCL. Okay. ACL keeps your femur from moving or your tibia from moving forward. PCL from back. Um, LCL fits your left leg from moving out. MCL moving in. Okay. They have to have, you know, significant rigidity to them. We don't want a lot of movement in there. Now, if you're, because if you do, then obviously under ballistic force, then you've got your ability to bring it to a stop is going to be an issue. So now you have to then involve muscle action, eccentric, isometric, and uh, concentric. Mm-hmm. 99.9% of these injuries in co- non-contact happen on the landing, the eccentric, because the force that they are moving at cannot be brought to a stop. In every plyometric action, remember, you have a very quick lengthening eccentrically it is brought to a stop isometrically and then it springs back concentrically if that is if the load and the speed of that is overwhelmed now that movement of the joint is going to happen and you're going to blow it the other thing that happens is the poor biomechanics so in girls soccer you see it all the time they're all running on their heels 
So they run heel ball toe. And when you really? do that, oh, it's, it's prevalent. And when, huh. you cor- and when you correct that and you also strength train the heck out of their hips, now you're going to get a dramatic change in, in, the, in the ACL type thing. Where we're an advantage in terms of the recovery is if you look at the rehab process, the first thing that has to happen is you have to heal that wound. So if they had a patella graft, which is where they take a piece out of your patella tendon, they graft that in and that becomes your ACL. Well, now we have to we have to heal the wound of the patella as well as allow that new ACL to fuse, graft, however you want to say it. Because when they, if you've ever seen that surgery, when they go in arthroscopically, they whittle away your previous ACL. Literally, it looks like Roto-Rooter when they shoot it. Really? And, yeah. And then they drill. I haven't seen that yet. It's pretty wild. And when you, you drill a hole in, in their tibia, goes up and it has to attach or that ACL has to be put in at that same angle that the old one used to be at. And they'll literally take a titanium screw and they screw it in on one end and then screw it in on the, on the other. Now you have a new working ACL. The problem is with the patella now, you've shut the quad off. Because when you cut that patella tendon out, the nerve endings all get fried and then the quad just shuts down. So now you have an issue of the, the nerve not firing. So the reason we have a lot of success, we do a lot of proprioceptive work. So that's the balance work you did on your feet. Right. So what that does, especially when you do it on a hard surface and not on a BOSU ball or any of those other things that people try it on because you can't grip a BOSU ball properly. It has to be done on a hard surface. Actually trying to do balance work on things like that increases your risk of injury. doesn't decrease it. And again, that's been scientifically uh, proven. Hmm. Um, But when it's done on different angles, slopes, and you're on a hard surface like our balance disc, things like that, where the foot has to grip. So once it grips and the toes are acting like fingers, that sends a message or a signal all the way up your leg and it activates all the muscles going. Hmm. So we use that proprioceptive factor in a lot of different strength stuff that we, we use when you add that. Go ahead. No. So it's funny. I uh, still, to this day, like I said, I work out of my own home gym, so it's easier to do, but I, everything I do, I still Mm -hmm. do barefoot. And that is because of the time that I spent in your gym. So whether it's plyometric work, whether it is some, mm-hmm. some strength training that I'm doing, I'm at least doing it barefoot. Mm-hmm. Um, and for people at home who, who might not know exactly what you're referring to, I'm going to link to it in the show notes. But uh, mm-hmm. it's from what I remember, and you may have even updated it since, it really is like a round, flat, wooden disc. And on the back of it, right, there's like a, mm-hmm. uh, wow. uh, yeah, a ball that's basically been cut in half. Mm-hmm. And what you would ask us mm-hmm. to do, right? Does that sound mm-hmm. fair? Yeah. And so what we would do is we'd be barefoot on it and gripping with the toes, right? We'd be asked to either, you know, spin it, move it forward and backwards, side to side. There's there's a number of different exercises that I remember. Um, but yeah, it was it was to your point, balancing on hard objects versus mm-hmm. the BOSU balls. And I'll, I'll link because there was a number of All different, right. I think, uh, tools that you had um, for that for mm-hmm. that exact purpose. Yeah, and so we use those. We use what's uh, what's called an accelerated isokinetic uh, machine. Mm-hmm. So that one, it operates much like the gears of a bike, but it adapts to the force you apply to it. I so yeah. just, like, just like human movement, if you apply more power to it, you're going to speed up, right? Mm-hmm. Same thing with this. It's a true inertia machine. And then when you combine that with a plyometric strength machine where you actually have to ballistically load it and throw it, um, strengthening the adduction, abduction, the 
extension flexion of the hips so that because remember there's three joints involved it's not just your knee so yeah. if, you're, if your foot's weak and not stable then you're gonna have a really difficult time uh producing any more of real power to get yourself moving and it's also going to destabilize the joint above it because it's going to take more stress and the other it works the other way with the hip so if hmm. you plant and try to pivot and your hips are weak well that's going to put a lot of stress on the joint below it yeah. So making sure that you have great hip strength is super important. And again, it has to be done at its most elite level when you're talking about pro athletes, because the amount of power they're, they're producing is excessive. Mm-hmm. excessive. Is that, yeah. Is that part of the reason that we're seeing so many injuries, uh, you mm-hmm. know, especially among high school and collegiate athletes who are doing heavy strength training? Is it that... Mm-hmm. The muscle, so one, I guess it's just like the mass of the individual. We're, we're well, pumping the muscle's them up. Growing, this gro- muscle's growing this way, and when it has to move itself, it uses force this way. They're opposites. Uh, yeah. and, and also, you're having a transmission problem because as you expand all that tissue in there and blow it up and it has more fluid in it, you're not getting the same neuromuscular connection going. Hmm. again don't these people are going to sit here and uh, do what everyone else says man because you sit there and you tell them like this model doesn't work and everybody starts freaking out well don't take my word for it why don't you actually go on professor herzog's uh website and look up the research he's done out of university of calgary you read his work and then you tell me how it works i didn't make this up and to say that we we know what everything is doing in a muscle is laughable we don't. And we have worked on this whole sliding filament three uh, theory for what is it going on 40 years. And basically the latest stuff is just showing that's just, it's just not true. Yeah. So why, so, well, let me ask the question first, like how your approach, mm-hmm. right? How mm-hmm. is it, is it becoming more well-received? Sure. Um, okay. Well, okay. Uh, now are you going to argue with the success rates? Yeah. Finnish hockey team we were training for three years. They didn't have one soft tissue injury. Wow. Toyota, Toyota Cheetahs, which is the most playing in the most violent um, league in the world, because it's every bit as violent as as the NFL. So whoever wants to come out on that one, I don't really care which one's more. But and that's rugby. Yeah. So they they we got hired by PDM, which is a, a South African uh, nutritional sub- supplement company. The director of uh, PDM is a guy named Alfred Reeder. He's extraordinarily smart and forward-thinking and knew that they were going to lose, potentially lose their franchise rights and all other kinds of problems because the previous year they sent home 11 starters from the Super 15 tournament. He knew they had to get their injury rates down yeah. and, but didn't know necessarily how. He contacted us. He flew over with the trainer of the, the work for him. His name's Neil Neil Duplessis. Um, they spent two weeks here. They they figured it out in two days. They took everything home, all the approach we did, um, and Neil started training the whole team on that. And to say like what he did wasn't extraordinary. The amount of work ethic and the detail that he took it to, it, you know, it's you don't see that very often in in my lifetime. I've never seen it, but it's great. Um, they had a drastic change. So they had one major injury. Uh, guy dove for a try and guy landed on his shoulder and popped it out. That was the only major injury they had the whole year. Um, what we did is establish a minimum standard that each player had to meet physically. Okay. So that minimum standard involves what our evaluation system is. 
which is based on, again, testing guys coming out for the NFL combine. Muscle flexibility in the back, the hamstrings, uh, joint mobility, the ankles, functional strength of the hamstring, functional strength of the hips, um, shoulder flexibility, all these things that impact performance. So if you don't have range of motion in your arms, how are you going to ever run to your maximal speed? Yeah. And anyone saying that weights don't tighten you up, that's just, again, patently false. Of course they do. The muscle is growing this way, right? So it's shrinking itself this way. And longitudinally, when that's how it has to produce its force biometrically, you're reducing its elastic capacities. You're stiffening it too much. Yeah. So, so what it happens, and the reason we can immediately impact someone like you you have spent your entire strength career in a football pr program training for force or absolute strength. Mm -hmm. And because force plays a role in power, it does. Mm -hmm. When people initially start doing it, you're going to have certain gains. Those gains immediately come to a stop because your only option is to continue to lift heavier, heavier, and heavier. They're not right. going to have you move it faster, faster. Now people are starting to figure that out. Yeah. Now they're starting to look at what the velocity is. What we've done is made sure that the power is predominant. And the only time we're ever going to tr uh, trace maximal force is if I'm dealing with an NFL lineman or a rugby player that plays up front, then it will be trained also. But power, ultimate power, will always be your primary thing that you're going to chase. Yeah. But to say a basketball player has to train maximal force is just absurd. I remember... Uh we had a guy who I went to school with who trained out of your, your place. I won't, I won't mention by name, but, uh, mm -hmm. he was, uh, I mean, he, he could not have looked more average. I think he was like a six foot white guy with a receding hairline. Mm -hmm. And I mean, he must've had a 42 inch vertical. I mean, right. he could just flat out bang. <laughs> and, uh, I remember when he you came back, I know who that is. Yeah. You know who it is. And, and when you I, know, and you know what happens to him, right? They, they put him on a strength program. When he got and, back to school, is that what you're referring to? Yeah, I guess what happened to his vert? Yeah, it went down. Right? To 35. 35. Jeez. And and remember what happened to what happened to his injuries? I'm sure they went up. Broke his head. Oh, did he really? Jeez, mm -hmm. I forgot that. Yeah, he I mean, I remember it was a contentious issue in the training you know, room. He, well, yeah, but he's around here now. He's still training basketball players. Um like the, the guy that invented the original Supercat was a, a guy named Barney Fuller. Okay. And then his son, Gary, he was a really, really good person. And um, he, he literally is a six foot white boy that was winning every dunk contest in Texas. Really? Yeah. It's awesome. It's awful. So it never has anything to do with race. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If you're, if you're racist, that's proven, you know, yeah. it's like in hockey, you know, we're predominantly white because in Canada, it's predominantly white kids are playing hockey growing up. Right. Black guy plays hockey and, and a ton of them start playing. They're going to be great at it. I mean, yeah. of course they are. It's just so ridiculous how anyone goes that route. No, I com I completely agree with you there. Mm -hmm. I completely agree with you there. So, okay, here's – I feel like I could probably spend uh, the next 24 hours just peppering you with questions. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think you probably know more about this stuff or you've forgotten more than I could ever possibly know. So we'll have to have mm -hmm. you back at some time. But uh, with the time that we have left, here's, mm -hmm. here's what I would love to get your take on, right? Mm -hmm. For people who live in the area, mm -hmm. right, and they can come to your gym – 
I, mm-hmm. I think absolutely do that. What about the rest of folks who don't have um, direct access to what you're doing out of the sports science lab in Irvine? Like, how well, we can they? To, yeah, yeah we, used to, we used to have a, a membership section on our website and stuff. We took it down years ago, and I I had started training and certifying some trainers in this. And the experience I had with that was just so negative in terms of them a pretending like they were us or they came up with it. There's one guy mm-hmm. in particular who. who again, is a, is an example of what this business is. Um, he, you know, all of a sudden it's his methods and he came up with them and he's invented them. I don't really care about that. I, to say that I invented this is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, we didn't invent water training. Right. Glad, gladiators used to do it. Okay. So who the hell invented it? Yeah. Like, it doesn't matter what we have specifically done is said that, okay, if we're going to do something within our facility, it has to have some edu- scientific principle. Somebody had to prove somewhere along the line that yeah. it worked. So, for instance, altitude training, right? You're going to put a mask on a guy and you're going to simulate altitude. Really? So, in water, if you go down 100 feet, is the, is the composition of water any different than at the surface? Mm, I don't know. <laughs> no? <laughs> no? No, of course not. The pre- the pre- the pre- the pressure, the pressure is different. Okay. Gotcha. All right. So if you go diving, right. Right. If you go diving, mm-hmm. that's why you have to come up so much slower because now you, you end up with a pulmonary embolism because you can't adjust quick enough yeah. to getting oxygen molecules to absorb again. Well, altitude is the same way. It's just the opposite. Mm-hmm. So you can't simulate altitude training. So what you okay. do is you're actually depriving a person of oxygen. So in an anaerobic sport, there can't be anything stupider than doing that. <laughs> so what you do, what you do is the very yeah. thing you're saying you're increasing. You're decreasing the oxygen content that goes to the muscles. The body intrinsically then shuts down how much power it can does because it can't get the oxygen to it. Hmm. At, at a higher altitude, the pressure is different. So we can't absorb oxygen as well. And when you start depriving people of oxygen, you have a major problem. You, they actually believe you're going to increase all this red blood cell count and everything else. Give me a break. Hmm. And, but that's the kind of crap that ends up in our business. Why yeah. isn't there a, an, a, a sitting scientific body in the United States that if you're in the performance world, that you have, are forced to learn human anatomy. You are forced yeah. to know these things. Yeah. Because we are doing a disservice to the very people we say we're improving. Yeah. And now when you do that in the fight business, wow, that business you can get people killed in. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. but so before you start putting uh mass on people, you might want to sit there and actually do your homework instead of just believing somebody else's bullshit about it. Yeah. So to answer your point, we're redoing this whole platform. So that the, how to train for each sport is going to be available again. Cool. Um, I think I let the negativity of the people that came here um, affect my judgment. And ultimately it's not about them. It's about the people, like it's you, it's yeah. guys like you that are trying to play college football and just be the best they can be. And how do we provide the right information so that when Will Blackman tears his ACL on Monday night football and right. he gets a phone call and I only knew him for two weeks at a time, but mm-hmm. I call him the next day and like, whatever you do, don't let the team touch you. Mm. Well, how, how do I know that? Because I've had 10 years experience before that knowing that A, the surgeon for the team rarely is an, is, is an expert. 
half the time they're paying to be this right. surgeon. Yeah, that's one of the biggest uh, things that people don't understand is that you're basically paying for the access to be that team doctor. And you're going to do the surgery that you think you're best at. So, you know, he doesn't know that. So mm-hmm. then you've got uh, a guy getting a cadaver graft and a guy that needs to run 4-4. Well, it failed and it cost him two years of his career. Same thing happened to Dominic Cruz. Yeah. So how do you provide a platform when an athlete can actually get the right information and understand, hey, my only three options currently for an ACL are a patella graft, hamstring, or a cadaver graft. What is my best option? Because it's unequivocally a patella uh, graft unless there's some other injury that they can't mm-hmm. use it for. Yeah. And, you know, we've used Dr. L trash out of or Curlin and Joe for 12 years because he's the best and we don't let anybody touch it. You know, somebody you have to, in this business, know the process you blow your ACL. You have to have the best surgeon. You have to get the best PT available around you. And now you've got to get somebody that really understands return to play because it's one thing to, to heal the wound. It's yeah. another thing to get the power back to play quarterback and run right. and move like a, a elite athlete. So how are you doing yeah. that? Yeah. So hopefully like we're, we're in the process of developing that, that back. If there's people that are interested in just trying to get themselves healthier back, they just need to email us. Okay. I, I answer every email that comes through her and it's half the time why it takes me a week to get to them. But yeah, it's, it's, I'm one guy and we're not enough people like the strength coach for the angels. This guy is super smart. Okay. Super smart. His name, his name is Lee Fiaci. Really great guy. He's out of Texas. He's got a bunch of different uh, clinics down there. He's been with the Angels for a number of years. Um, there's not enough, and he's, he, he doesn't like attention. Neither do I. I don't, you know, most of yeah. our business is guys calling attention to themselves. Um, what impresses me is information. Hmm. Well, we can end on that one because the I, I was teaching this kid at basketball free throws. This has got to be. I mean, before your time back in Santa Margarita and I was pretty good at it. You know, I was a good basketball player, probably shot about 90% from the line and I'm teaching this kid the same way I knew. Well, there's this old guy sitting up in the stands and he's sitting there watching the whole time and then mm-hmm. lumbers down and says, so, you know, you shoot free throws pretty well and stuff, but honestly, I think they could be better. And I was like, Oh, okay. Um, well, first of all, if you, instead of, you know, you're like a lot of guys, you shoot with your right arm off your right leg to try to get a straight, straight line. Right. And I'm like, yeah. Uh, he goes, you know, that works to a point, but it's not the best possible way. If you put both legs parallel, make sure that the rim is in the middle of your groin, swing your arm in. So it's always straight right over your head. And the other thing is stop trying to arc the ball so much. I was like, what? Because obviously that's against every shooting coach in the world, you know, make sure there's enough arc backspin, get a little flatter trajectory. I go, I'm dying to hear this one. (laughs) And he goes, well, if you shoot it too high and you're off left or right, the ball has too much velocity coming down and it hits the rim and it'll just clang off. If it goes in a little flatter trajectory, it skips off the rim and it hits the backboard and it'll come in. You'll get a higher percentage to drop in in your favor. (laughs) I was like, wow, that's, (laughs) that's actually true who the fuck are you? Right. Uh, yeah. My name is Mr. Van Emberg. I set the world record in free throws, 2,750 in a row. And I did it at 81 years old. Unbelievable. Well, it taught taught me something because the second you start knowing, you think, you know, all this, you're making a mistake. Yeah. I, I think that what we've really tried to do, because now that we have this measurement platform coming forward, 
for sure, the principles that we've been working on for the last 20 years are being validated as correct. But the low, the lows, that's something different. So when you, so what we have to do is take a guy like you and we have to figure out what is his optimal training power in terms of load. Mm -hmm. And you have to focus on that if it's running and jumping. And if you are, then you're going to get tremendous increases. If you're focused on just pushing maximal force, which is what everyone else is doing, well, that's just not going to happen. And what I would urge people to do is before you sit there and say that somebody's just coming out trying to rip on whatever the establishment is and everything else, I'm in a profession that doesn't forgive error. We are, we are a very boutique business. So when I get hired to rehabilitate George St. Pierre's knee yeah. for the USC and he has to fight in 10 months, I don't have the option of making a mistake yeah. and, I, and I can't be wrong. So what I've always tried to do is seek out the best possible information. And because that's my job, it's not about me being the best trainer or anyone else thinking that it's making sure that whether it's George St. Pierre or it's the girl right now I have with a torn meniscus who's 17 and trying to play college soccer, that we make sure that we get her where she needs to go. Yeah. So what are the best ways to do that? That's what we've really tried to do. And fortunately, I've I've been able to meet some great people along, along the way. You know, we have uh, a guy running our facility day to day named Sazi, who's got a great biomechanical mind and a great work ethic, mm. extraordinarily honest. You know, our our facility in in uh, South Africa. I mean, Neil's as good as it gets in the world at what he does, and part, very few people even know who he is. <laughs> the woman running the physical therapy department is halfway through her PhD. Um, obviously, already has her master's she could train people just as well as any, any of us in here, but yeah. her, her results, you know, and getting people back and return to play or to say are impressive or, you know, is doing her disservice. And what she does now, because where the physical therapy market has to go is it is a time-based protocol. You have your ACL, it's nine months. It shouldn't be a time-based pro- protocol. It should be a functional strength protocol. Hmm can the leg produce the same amount of power as the other one? And if it can't, then you shouldn't be allowed back out there. And now that we can test that, we don't until they can pass that until we can show that the eccentric capacity of the left is equal to the right. We don't, we don't clear them. And that's where the paradigm shift has to come. Yeah. Because how else do you conscientiously let them back out on the field? Yeah. Because what people are doing is using a biodex test. Well, that's just a kicking motion. And it's open chain. So open chain is not going to tell you too much in terms of what the strength capacity functionally is of a leg. It's in contact with the ground. So it's a different, it's an isolated muscle test and it doesn't work Mm -hmm. that way. You don't pull your hamstring in. That's a stretch reflex in running. Right. So you don't do it under power and force. Does that that make sense? It does make sense. Yeah. And and I I think what I'm, what I'm wondering too is, and I'm going to, if you're up for it, I'm going to have to have you back and we're going to have to just break some Uh, of this. Doing this stuff, you know, it obviously causes a lot of controversy, but I I just don't care. The people I care about are the people that we serve. Well, we have 10 guys that we're getting ready for, for a combine, you know, our responsibility is to do the best possible job that we can do for those people. Yeah. Right. Um, I think this year we've done some phenomenal work in some areas and other areas where we have to get better. Hmm. And you always have to approach it that way. And what ends up happening in the coaching business is 90% of the time it's the athlete's fault or he just doesn't have this. 
in our facility, it's always our fault. If we yeah. fail to achieve that and the athletes done what we asked them to do, well, who else's fault would it be? It's yeah. not theirs. It's gotta be ours. Sure. Sure. And you have to, you have to be able to take whatever successes you had. I mean, we got George back and he fights and wins for a UFC championship in 12 months or 10 months. Yep. yep. Uh, however, it, have we done that every single time? No. Have we ever had somebody to have a revision? Never. So success wise okay. that way been great. Have we always been able to get every single person where we want them to get to from a performance standpoint? No, that's part of the business you have to accept and you have to continually challenge yourself to, you know, to be better. What always, you know, motivates me is, is intelligence. You know, with people in terms of, if you look at biomechanics and running and how it's taught and people driving their knee and forced dorsiflexion, that's not anatomically possible, actually. It's a stretch reflex, and you don't actually slam your foot into the ground. You push off it because the mm -hmm. ground's not a, it's not a trampoline. You're the trampoline. Yeah. yeah. So when you look at the biomechanics of that, and it's an up and down motion, not front to back. And again, take bolts running. Don't take my word for it. Look at it from a side view. And then look at how most of the Americans are trying to run. And it's hmm. distinctively different. And you can show, and now what happens in running mechanics is, again, people teach what they think they see. It's three-dimensional. So you have to actually do it within space and actually see what's moving because the arms never go front to back. They go up and down. The torso moves past the arm, giving it the illusion that it went back. And it's a longer, longer discussion, but it's easily provable. The leg yeah. moves the piston up and down. But again, if you're teaching your, your clients to hit the ground as hard as they can and they're going to run faster, that's not true. And if you don't believe it, stand up in front of the door and slam your hands into the door and try to push off at the same time and see how far you get. You'll go nowhere. Right. You have to actually relax in the door and spring yourself off and now you'll, go up, you'll, you'll move quickly. Yeah. That's what, that's what Bolt does so much better than everyone else. Sean, yeah. Deshaun Jackson, why do these guys look like they can... They're flying and yet there's so little effort. It's because they can synchronize the fire and relax part of it. Because remember, yeah. another thing with heavy weightlifting is it causes muscle co-contraction. So now you have muscles that are agonists and muscles that are antagonists and they're all working the same way. That's not how they, they work. If, you, if you're moving and shooting your arm to shoot a basketball, yeah. you lock up your tricep, it doesn't move. Right. It has to, it has to contract. You have to relax it to allow that to happen. Mm -hmm. So that's what muscle co-contraction is. I co-contract a bicep and a tricep at the same time and think I'm still going to move it. I'm not. Right. So as one contracts, the other needs to be loosening and yeah. Lengthening. Yeah. One contracts, the other's lengthening. It's the opposing right. muscle. Right. So yeah. I have, I have heard that like the best athletes are the ones who are able to like fire and relax the quickest. Is that an oversimplification or am I thinking it's about It's an oversimplification. They have to be able to relax it, but on the changeover, they have to produce the most power. Hmm. So when you go from eccentric, because Bolt's contact time is actually longer than most people's. Because the Americans, they, they push out the back and so they come off their leg too fast and their arms are generally moving forward away from them, whereas his is moving up and into his middle. Because remember in running and jumping, you have to oscillate. These guys, a lot of them are getting taught to keep their shoulders you know, square. They're going to leak energy. That's not true again. When you mm -hmm. walk, you oscillate. And at high speed, you oscillate, but it's just it's a lot more subtle. You're jumping from one leg to the other right. as you move. So my left side has to jump to load my right and vice versa. Hmm. 
Now, again, if you study anatomy as opposed to what you think you see, yeah, then, then you study anatomy first and then sit down and look at how they're running and then tell me how it works. Don't come and tell me that you saw Johnson running 10 years ago, stiff as a board like that, who's now sitting there saying that Bolt should keep his shoulders stiff and he stopped linking energy and he's going to run faster. He beat you by four tenths of a second, man. <laughs> So let me ask you this, because I, I know people who are listening are, are thinking this. Mm-hmm. Um, one, it's it's probably completely, in terms of what they've heard, revolutionary. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, they're probably thinking, okay, this is awesome. Like, how can I start to take advantage of some of these concepts in my own gym? Like, if, if you, like, let's say, you know, when you have an athlete, you get them under your supervision, but maybe they go ha- have to go back to school or they go back to their own team training environment. I guess, like, where where do they start to be able to try and leverage some of these same techniques and methods within what would be a traditional weight room? Well, first thing would be if you're doing a conventional back squat, stop it and ask them to let you do a front squat. That would be the first thing. Hmm. Okay. And, and instead of being forced to bring your knee, your leg down to a 90 degree angle, let them bring it down to about a 45 or 50 degree angle and come back up. It'll at least avoid a lot of the knee problems you get out of the damage to the patella and the nutcracker effect that happens to a joint when you close it under load. So you're Hmm. causing a lot of problems for the ligaments once that happens. And again, if you don't believe it, go to a med store, get a knee model, pull the femur over the tibia and watch what happens to all just the rubber connection tissues that they have attached to it. And you can see it. So that'd be the first one. And then the other thing would be focus more on the speed you're able to move it as opposed to the amount of load that you're trying to move. Makes because sense. if you're doing that, then you're, you're staying more focused on, on its power. If yeah. you're throwing something, baseballs, footballs, and things like that, you don't want to be bench pressing. That's going to make it worse. There's a contraction that has to happen in the, patella, in the uh, pec muscles that brings the head of the humerus forward. And you have to keep that elastic and fresh, and you have to have range of motion. And it really depends like what you're after, right? Are yeah. you a thrower? Are you a sprinter? Uh, are you a swimmer who has very little room for being in a conventional weight room? Um, because most of that power is all coming from the back, back side of the shoulder, the, the lats, the serratus, all those things that allow for that down movement. Um, but if it's just a conventional thing of, you know, I'm trying to run higher, run faster and jump higher, then yeah, you have to first start. Well, s- s- drop the loads, stop chasing maximal loads and keep the, the loads down and move them faster. And you're going to see a difference right away. Yeah. And plyometrics. I mean, that, I remember. Well, we got to be careful with that. Okay. Because of the injury problem, you don't, if you don't have the eccentric capacity on the landing, now you got an injury problem. Hmm. So the, the eccentric capacity has to be 40% greater approximately than the concentric. And again, that's Varkashansky's work. They showed that 50, 40 years ago now, maybe a lot yeah. more now. And so if you don't have the braking capacity on that, then, then it's an issue. So and how can someone build that? Well, you could start doing isometric holds under a lighter weight load. So okay. in other words, if you're standing and had weights in your hands, you bring your leg down to about a 30 degree angle and then bend to about a 45, hold it for 10 seconds and then bring it back up. It's not the optimal way, but it certainly would improve it. Yeah. You have to have a stopping capacity. Your car, and it's another way to think of it, if you have a car with an eight-cylinder engine and it has tremendous power, and if it's in a BMW, it's going to have a lot of torque as well at the axles. Mm -hmm. It's going to go straight ahead very quickly. 
what's the braking mechanism? Because if you don't have the brakes, you can't bring it to a stop. Obviously, you're getting in a car accident. Right. What's the, what's the difference with a human? Yeah. You're going to have a problem. You have to bring it to a stop. Oh, yeah. for sure. Well, and the other one is lack of hip strength. So now if I have to turn the car, that's the suspension, the tires, all those things. And a human, yeah. the suspension is your hips and your foot, your feet and things like that. Hmm. And I remember we were doing a lot of, uh, and I, I know we're running out of time here, but I at least yeah. want to mention it. Um, the ball work. Are you still having your athletes do the ball work? Yeah, it's, it's a form of ballistic stretching. And it also involves like all the different ranges of motion, planes of movement. Um, there's about 30 exercises that go with it. So it, it helps what's considered conventional core strength. The core actually doesn't activate until the limbs are really actually farther away from it. So yeah. once it, you lengthen out, then your core has to start stabilizing. Again, it's not a part of the human body that's explained that well. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do a lot of it. For a high-level athlete, it's more of a elite warm-up. For people that are just getting started, it's really tough. Oh, yeah. I put one of my buddies through it last year. Yeah, and they can't do and it. Ex-college athlete. And I mean, can't do it. boring sweat. Right. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll try and link to what I can find on that. Cause I, like you said, it's, it's a fantastic warm up, And mm-hmm. I find that even though mm-hmm. I am doing traditional strength training, um, because I, it, what I'm doing now, I'm no longer an elite college athlete. It's like, sometimes I'm looking, I I'm looking for aesthetics. Thanks, man. Thanks, man. No. So, uh, I, but I still love doing it. So I'll, I'll try and link to that. And, yeah. um, so for people who, uh, want to either get in touch with you or, uh, mm-hmm. want to learn more about what you're doing at sports science lab, where's a great place uh, for them to find you. Uh, just our website, like, uh, sportsciencelab.com and that, or they can just email us with specific uh, questions that they have. If they're dealing with injuries or trying to improve the performance, uh, that's probably the best way. Yeah. And, and what I'm thinking too, is I know there's a lot of folks who listen I mean, they have young kids, right? Well, kids, uh, kids, it's so important that they learn the movement patterns correct from the beginning. So kids, you know, you're not dealing with trying to improve their, you know, in a weight room. That's absurd. Uh, mm-hmm. move, you know, the proper biomechanics, the earlier you learn how to throw, the better you, chance you have of throwing well. Same right. thing goes for running. And, and the problem in, in sports is that we throw all our kids into competitive sports and we don't teach them how to run and jump and move first. Yeah. And now it's like you just have to figure it out on your own. And what happens is the failure rates uh, skyrocket. The ones that have some uh, real ability to push themselves, they'll have some more success with it. But, you know, my father threw me in ballet class when I was five. He put me in figure skating when I was six. By the time I was seven, I played my first competitive uh, year of hockey. It was like cheating because hmm. I, could, I could skate, I'd bounce, and everybody else was struggling with it. Now you think you're good. You know, you win a scoring title in a little house league team in the middle of the West End of Toronto, and you got a little... <laughs> got a little sense of yourself. And the next thing you know, you've got a rink that your dad butt builds for you in the backyard. Yeah. And the next thing I know, I'm painting a net on the side of the wall of my house and I'm shooting at it all the time because I didn't always have a goalie to shoot at. Right. So I put like targets on it and then I got good at that. And, yeah. you know, flash forward eight years later and I'm in the national showdown competition for speed skating, speed agility and puck handling and one-on-one scoring with a goalie. Yeah. Is it talent? No. It's, a, it's obsession of wanting to be great at it and the ability to push it. I mean, people, if they really want to learn about human excellence, 
pick up a book called uh, The Talent Code. Pick up The Outliers first and read that. Outliers like, is great. Well, I mean, I never, like all the guys in our hockey team when I was 15, all were bored at the beginning of the year. I, everybody used to laugh about it. I'm so glad you bring this up. <laughs> and then I, I, I read that and I just started laughing. I'm like, oh God, of course, because the, the, the age limit, right? Right. If you turned 14 December 31st, you played in the under-15 league. If yep. you turned 14 January 1st, you play in the under-14 league. It's an extra year of playing. My mm-hmm. birthday was March 16th. And yep. so you get that extra year of development. And now you're dealing with it in a city that's the toughest city in the world to play that sport in. Yeah. So if you're wanting to be good, you're constantly being pushed. You know, hockey to this day is my favorite sport. They're my favorite people and athletes. Um, they're mostly all come from blue collar families off the farm. Just guys that just bust their ass and they have to win this sport with intensity. And you don't mm-hmm. deal with the prima donnas that you deal with in so many other sports. There's no room for yeah. it because you're literally only as good as the guy standing next to you at. I was not mm-hmm. a big, I was a goal scorer. If you don't have people protecting you, you're dealing with six foot four, 230 pound guys. Like who the hell wants to fight them? Right. You're just going to get thundered. Yeah. So, and the skill sets it teaches, hand eye coordination, lateral movement, speed, everything is just, it's awesome. And it's always pushing the anaerobic threshold. It has contact. It has so many elements that pushes athletic ability in such a positive way. And that's why, you know, it'll always be my favorite one. Um, and out here it's, you know, it's developed more, but it's not like my hometown, but the point is, it's like that all of a sudden when you're young, you're getting noticed because if you're playing hockey, well, it gave you this ability physically to play basketball and volleyball Hmm. and all of those kids played multiple sports. I played seven. And when you're in high school, my, my hockey team and my baseball team were travel teams. Um, and basketball and volleyball are, which are the two I really played a lot of, you know, in high school, those are the high school teams you played for, but I ran track. I played a little bit of tennis when I was 16, played soccer. Um, and ultimately, you know, f- football was the last one. And, and, but though each one of them teaches you something different, it, di- it gives you a different s- skill set. Yeah. Right. And now you become a better athlete because of it. When you start mm-hmm. isolating into a single sport, Right, especially yeah. that young, and you're in a developmental phase. Your brain is not learning to adapt to all these different challenges that it's presented with. Right, volleyball. If you want to be an outside hitter, well, you better be six six or learn how to jump because I was five ten. Yeah. So basketball is the same way. If I wanted to play, I had to be fast, explosive. Yeah. I, I couldn't be slow. And when I finally taught myself how I taught myself to dunk, because I took a a bench and I put it in our driveway, and I would just jump off it. And then at school, the basketball rim at Richfield Collegiate was against the wall. So you could run up, jump off the wall and dunk it. And, yeah. it, felt, and it felt great, right? Oh, yeah, so, of course. Well, it took about a year or so and, of jumping off that bench. And I finally didn't need the bench anymore. I could dunk off one leg. Hmm. Um, I was never, never could do it off my right. I had never trained it off my right. Why would I be able to do it? Hmm. Zach, Zach Levine, when we had him here last summer, he's a two-time NBA dunk champion. And, you know, I was, I always try to learn from these guys. I feel like having Zach Levine in Mm. your facility is completely unfair. Yeah. Because like he already starts with an incredible natural ability, but just knowing about like the progress I saw athletes make while I was training there that summer. Yeah. But when you find out what he did and what his dad did with him. Oh, okay. Yeah. Tell me about, if you have time. Yeah. yeah, I'd love to hear that. His dad trained him. 
And, oh. and then you go, well, yeah, but every day after practice, me and, uh, me and uh, Perignon, which is his best friend and blood brother, we used just to sit around in the gym and dunk all day. He was hmm. doing it all day. Of course he's great at it. How right. many guys sit around in a gym just, okay, obsessing on how many dunks they can do? Yep. And, you know, what I told Zach is like last summer and when I saw him and for the first time live is he's coming off an ACL. And so he wasn't oh, jumping okay. as well. So, yeah, obviously I feel like we can get him back to what he was. And it mm. goes back to the other points because what people do is, you know, I was interviewed in, in Canada about George and Bo. I'm like, wait a second. I didn't make George St. Pierre. I had right. nothing to do with it. All I did is fix his knee. George yeah. is a great fighter because of George. George is a great fighter because he was obsessed with being the best he can be. He found the best jujitsu coach. When he sucked at wrestling, he went to the Canadian Olympic team. And what yeah. George's best asset is, is he is humble enough to suck at something and work at it until he's either the best at it or close enough that they can't expose it. Yeah. And so you take the fight IQ of that guy with the athletic ability that he's always tried to push. That's why you have one of the best fighters in the history of the sport. I didn't have shit to do with that. You know, you might not remember this. I, I've got two thoughts, but uh, when I was training out there and again, it was mm-hmm. just one summer, but I, mm-hmm. I, I guess I did. I took maybe even more lasting mm-hmm. memories or learnings from it than I even realized. But uh, you told me, look, if you want to be great at something, find someone who's great at that thing mm-hmm. and go do what they do. Well, you listen, know? listen, how did you do this? Yeah. Right. It's, it's the free throw shooter. Yeah. It's yeah. like, you're, you're great at it. How did you do this? Because it, you get caught up in reading books or someone's thoughts or someone's philosophy. Well, where'd that come from? Mm. What's it right. based on? Just because someone read a book doesn't mean the book's right. Right. It's like gravity. Gravity, gravity is a law of science or, or a theory. Hmm. Which is it? I believe a law of science. No, it's a theory. Oh no. Well, all my points of that, all my points of that is, is, <laughs> is before people assume something's right, mm. because that's what's happened in this. You're, yeah. you're assuming that the way someone's doing something, same way they should approach it with us. Mm-hmm. Actually take the, take the approach that it has to be wrong. F- make yourself learn it yourself. Make yourself understand how a person moves when they run. What is the dominating factors in those? Don't take yeah. my word for it. And I've never yeah. done that. And you can, there's an athlete we have that wouldn't tell you that I have taught them to think for themselves. Yeah. Never have yeah. I sat there and told you, you need to think like me. That is right. never, never what I said. And uh, you're going to have to challenge it. If you're going to challenge what we're doing in here, then come at us with some facts. Yeah. Coming up, not somebody's just, Oh, well, this guy was successful doing this. If you're going to be a wrestler in, 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 in the U S who would you hopefully go to learn that from? Well, yeah. One, one of the, many, the best. Right. Right. You might want to take, take a guy that, um, geez, I can't even believe I'm spacing on his name. Gable. Yeah. He didn't just do it as an athlete. Yeah. Dan Gable. He then took he then took the United States wrestling team to how many how many championships? No, oh, I don't even know. But oh, I mean, he, he, it's absurd. So that that is an extraordinary mind. Mm-hmm. It, it has to be right. It has to be right. Yeah. So yeah. you know, being able to pick his brain and go, oh man, how'd you do this? So mm-hmm. to to that point, there's a guy named uh, his name's Professor Grakovetsky. Okay. He was a nuclear physicist. He hurt his back. He's from Montreal. So he, 
he got 11 different diagnoses as to what's wrong with him. So he's like, there's something wrong with this. Right. Start setting the spine himself to try to figure out what's wrong with himself. He yeah. ended up writing a book. It's called the spinal engine. He, okay. he did his presentations on how the spine is essentially the engine of human movement and that the energy in the, uh, comes from, you know, you're pushing off a hard object, but his work really helped us solidify how the biomechanics of the human body works. And mm. He presented to Harvard in 2008. You should look that stuff up and watch it. It's, he's hilarious, by the way. He's really funny and hitting the way he okay. yeah. um, But every time I've gone to Montreal, I, you know, and I haven't seen him now for probably four or five years, um, I asked him to go to lunch because it's, sure. it, it's humbling. Yeah. It's, it's humbling from the standpoint of as much as you think you may know and, and as much as I've tried to learn as much as I can in this period of time, you're around a mind that can teach you more. And yeah. again, this is somebody who could care less about exposure, Instagram, all these other things where everybody's out promoting themselves as, as the guy. Our company is called Sports Science Lab for a reason. Mm-hmm. All is not known in the world of sports science. It is a lab in that we will try new things out if it has a fundamental principle that makes sense to me. If yeah. it doesn't, no, I'm not going to do that. If I know yeah. there's, there's a fundamental flaw in it, I'm not doing that either. So, and what we're trying to meld the two together in, because in performance, the only way you can improve is in the physical power output of the body you were given or in its biomechanical efficiency. There's no other way. Hmm. Those are the only two ways. So if you're a quarterback, your mechanics are primary in terms of how you throw, right? Right. In terms of accuracy, velocity, all those things. If yep. there's a fatal flaw in that, it doesn't matter how many times you practice it. It will never get better. Mm. That, that flaw will prevent you from doing that. Yeah. And, and how many people that you went to really understood the biomechanics of the throwing motion that a quarterback does? Oh, me personally coming up, yeah. uh, up until I got into college. I mean, I maybe, I maybe interacted with like one guy. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the most, and that's actually one of the reasons I want to start this podcast is I think there's so many people who are motivated, who are willing to put in the time, um, and the the internet's amazing because there is a lot of content available Mm -hmm. where you educate Mm -hmm. yourself, but a lot of it is bad. So you have these uh, 95% kids. of it's bad. Yeah. So I'm, um, you know, I want to expose like, Hey, there's, there's people doing amazing things. They're trying to do it right. I, I believe you're, mm-hmm. uh, absolutely, absolutely one of those people. And so helping help. Yeah, no. And, but I mean, helping make, make folks aware and to your point, <laughs> think for yourself, right. Yeah. Uh, really it's kind of incumbent upon the individual to really Correct. take the time and analyze like, Hey, does this make sense? Right. Um, I, when I started playing football, they made, started making me squat. They wouldn't make you. They were, the weightlifting back then was like, no one knew what they were doing. It was just the smallest little whatever. I squatted six weeks. I couldn't dunk anymore. I stopped. Yeah. No one cared yeah. because like I was small and fast. And then if I wasn't small and fast, I was going to get killed. Right. I was probably like 165 pounds. Yeah. So you can't, you can't compete at that. Like you're, the only way is to evade. However, right. when I hit people, that was a different story because I had power. Yeah. So oh, yeah, think, able- think, think of the difference between a bullet and a, and a, and a bowling ball. Mm-hmm. A bullet's going 4,000 feet per second. It has very little mass to it. It'll, right. it'll put, a, put a hole in you. Yeah. So the power it hits you with is immense. If I take a bowling ball that has 50,000 times its mass and throw it at you, it'll stub your toe maybe. It doesn't do anything. 
you shoot it out of a cannon and it's got velocity to it, that's a different story. Now that mass matters. Yeah. And the mass is only going to matter if you can accelerate it. Right. Standing around doesn't do crap. Yep. So continually to understand, like, what are you trying to do? What sport are you in? What are the right. things that I have to improve? Because fundamentally across the board, if you think that maximal heavy weightlifting is going to improve speed and power, that is patently false. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes, that makes perfect sense. Well, Hey, I, I know we're buttoned up against it here. Yeah, no um, problem. This is, this has been fantastic. And like I said, I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll definitely, if you're up for it, have you back. No, I, love to. I like talking about this stuff. No, this is great. But to wrap it up, uh, thanks a lot, Gavin. I really no appreciate problem. it. And we'll Good. definitely have you back soon. Good to see you, man. You better go ask mommy, daddy. <laughs> my first, my last, my everything. <laughs> hey, son. Hi. <laughs> Welcome to the show. This is really an avenue for Kenny to get a singing career. Yeah. Yeah. That's how you do an intro, by the way. Not enough people take a risk. Oh. That's a risk. That was a really good episode. Yeah. You know, I, it's funny because when I, when I was actually talking to Gavin, like he's, I, I know him and I, I know like just how incredibly brilliant he is like in this realm of like sports and performance and recovery. But I was like, man, is this going to be something like the average person listens to and is just like takes something from, or is this something that like you really need to like be focused on like sport and performance to get something out of it? But listening to it back, I didn't feel that way at all. Yeah, no, I I think it was really applicable to lots of different yeah people. Yeah, and like, and if you're into sport and performance, it's probably why you're here, or you just know me and you're doing me a solid, mm, or you're my mom, or you're my mom. Hey, Orla, <laughs> you're gonna get a lot out of it as well. So I, I thought it was really really good. But thinking about the key takeaways, so here is uh, where I'm coming from with these, right? Because there is a lot of really good sport specific stuff in there. I'm not going to try and regurgitate that back to people because I think it's it's important that, uh, you know, go back and listen to the way Gavin explained it because I'm not going to do it justice. But there are three kind of themes that I felt were running throughout that episode that I thought were really important. Should we start there? Shoot. Okay. Key takeaway number one. Pay attention to the biomechanics of your sport specifically. So if we're talking about sport, what I mean by that is... If you're a swimmer, right, this is an egregious example, but it'll prove my point. Focus on the act of swimming and like the biomechanical movements that are going to help you be more efficient and proficient in your own sport, right? So I think like a lot of times where I'm coming from with this is we're like, oh, I want to get like faster. I want to jump higher. And so people are like, well, I need to get stronger. I need to do squats. I need to do lunges. I need to do X, Y, Z. And those things don't necessarily translate. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing I'm thinking too, is it's like, that's so true for anything. You know, that's like how I kind of keep feeling with all these podcasts, but it's like, if you're in sales and you want to be a better speaker, like practice speaking, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? I know. I get it. You know, what's so crazy though, is he was saying how he doesn't just train like football players. Mm -hmm. He trains so many different athletes. And then he like mentioned, I forget, what was it? Rugby and like a specific oh, yeah. position. He used to know every 
position and like what they need to be good at in like every sport. It's crazy. Isn't that wild? And like, and it's not just understand like the demands of that sport or like what that play. It's like understanding like biomechanically, like what that person needs. And then so crazy. Yeah. And then how to train them specifically to like the need of their sport. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying. I mean, the guy's the guy's brilliant. Yeah, he was really impressive. Um, and the other thing that we didn't even talk about because he doesn't like to name drop. Like he even said, like that's something that kind of irks him. Like people will try and like build their career off of an athlete that they might have trained to like help give them credence that like they're good at what they do. Yeah, but like he has worked with like the top of the top. Like to your point, across so many different sports boxers, mm-hmm. MMA fighters, NBA players, NFL players. And like guys that if I said their name, people would be like, holy cow. So he's, he is legit. Yeah. Um, so that's a big one. So like, I, I think it's this idea of like specificity to what you're trying to excel at. Yeah. And that's something I try, I need to try and remind myself more and more, both in training in the gym <laughs> or at work or just in life. <laughs> So that's a big one. Uh, Here's something that I like too, is just like, I I referenced it because he told it to me 10 years ago, but he kind of like drove it home again. You know, if you're trying to become great in something, you know, find someone who's already achieved success and more specifically, like ask them how they did it. You know, like go to them with an open mind, a willingness to learn and be like, look, you've already in, in some respect accomplished what I wanted to. Like, how did you get there? Yeah, that's definitely something you've taken with you the last 10 years, too, because I've heard you say that multiple times. Have and you? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I and see. I didn't even know just the way you act, though. Yeah, I always enjoy learning from people who have like achieved success in some regard. Yeah, you're never bashful to ask questions or advice. Yeah, often to my own detriment. <laughs> Like there's a certainly a risk in looking stupid, but yeah, I always err on the side of asking more questions. I think on his questions in this podcast, I went one for three. (laughs) That was my favorite part of this podcast. I know. I just got roasted. He he kept on asking you very simple questions. so simple. Is the water a hundred feet deep the same as the water on the surface, Kenny? Yeah. You're just now throwing pressure. Thank you, Wikipedia. Uh, yeah, I know. Well, it's always hard when you're like on the spot. Cause I'm listening to like, I'm learning. Yeah. You know, like I'm sitting, I'm like sitting there just like, I'm like captivated by what he's saying. Then I get asked a question and I'm like, Oh shit, I'm not in a big crowd. Like, I got to answer <laughs> I this. I'm like, then he's like, what's your first name? And I'm like, ah, yeah, <laughs> Ken, no Orville. Damn it. <laughs> so, uh, I love the story about the free throw mm-hmm. world record holder. That was so cool. Yeah. 81 years old. That's crazy. No, no, it's awesome. You know what I really like about Gavin too is for someone who knows as much as he does and has, has already achieved so much, you know, he's like still totally humble with like, look, I still have more to learn. I still have more to improve on. Like Mm -hmm. if there's an area I want to get better, like I'm open to a new idea that might change my perspective. Yeah. And I think that's important because it's very easy to get stuck in your ways. Oh, for sure. Yeah. No. Yep. (laughs) Cool. Point two (laughs) closed. All right. Uh, But yeah, so I think, but that's just a great way. Like be open to learning, find someone who's done it well, ask them how they did it. 
And that dovetails into my third takeaway quite nicely is when you do that, you still need to make sure that it passes like your gut test. Like you need to make sure you're not blindly following someone, even though maybe they've uh, achieved a result. Right. And actually in the age of Instagram, this, this is perfect. The guy with the super hot body who's trying to sell you a workout plan. Like, yes, in, in fairness, he has achieved a result. But right. When you go to understand how he did it and you hear his approach, hopefully you need to like think for yourself and say like, Hey, does this pass like the gut test? Yeah. Which is something that I, th- I think people there, there, there's a benefit in being a little skeptical, a little cynical. Yeah. You should always be a little cynical. I agree. The other thing too is, um, oh man, I had a, I had a point I wanted to make. Couldn't have been that good if I already forgot, (laughs) but I, I, you know what it is too. It's a lot of these conversations we've had. It's like, they're very advanced concepts, but they can usually kind of be like felt out just through like logic. Yeah. Um, we were talking before about how he speaks with a lot of conviction. Like he's had to defend his ideas before, but it's funny. Cause like when it, it might not be things that you typically hear, but mm-hmm. everything he said made sense. Yeah. It was well, logical at least. And you know, if I had been in that gym in person and trained there for three months, like, uh, you know, I, I would, probably be a little skeptical too. I'll, I'm telling you, he and, uh, you know, his team over there at sports science lab have been on like the cutting edge of so many things that like the broader, like uh, strength and conditioning or performance industry is like now just trying to catch up on like, okay, I'll give you an example. Percussion therapy, right? The Theragun, the hyper ice. Yeah. These things are like now becoming like pretty well known and for good reason. They're awesome. I was using something in their gym. Let me think about this. This was over 10 years ago. It was like 12 years ago. They they had something in their gym at, that we were using that's exactly the same thing at that time. Like we were doing that every day. That's crazy. Yeah. And like I couldn't even find one. I, I mean, I, I guess if I would have really gone out and looking for one, I could have gotten my hands on Where'd one. Where'd they get it? I don't know. Did I would not it? be. I, I, I would. Did he make a lot of his equipment? I know he's designed a lot of it or he's taking something that was previously existing and repurposed it Mm -hmm. because I think, you know, what he's trying to do was so revolutionary, especially going back 15 years or however long he's been doing it now at this point. Did he say 20 years? Yeah, maybe that like, yeah, he had to, he had to like, kind of like make things to fit the program that he wanted to have his athletes. Yeah. How cool. Train within. The stuff's awesome. I'm going to try and post some videos. I'm, I'm telling you it like it's such a departure from normal uh, what you'd imagine like a training what you'd imagine a gym to look like. Mm-hmm. It was awesome. Like I want to buy some of the stuff and put it in our basement, but I'm going to have to <laughs> gonna have to get some sponsors <laughs> for the podcast before that happens. <laughs> really good conversation though. Um, yeah, there's a ton in there. I, I just love I think those three takeaways are important. You yeah. know, again, be specific in your training. Make sure it directly translates to whatever your sport or goal is. Uh, you know, when trying to become great in something, find someone who's already done it. Ask them how they did it. Like something that I, I'm like 
very thankful for is that people who have achieved like success in some degree are often like so much more willing to share how they did it than you might imagine. Well, cause they know how much hard work it takes. That's a good and point. And it's not like anyone can replicate it. Yeah. So sharing their secrets is only like a small part of. That's a very good point. Because a lot of people aren't going to do what it They're takes not gonna, to. Yeah. It's like the Instagram models trying to sell a workout routine. Mm. A lot more goes into it than this like 20 minutes a day routine they're selling. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> no, I think that's a good point. Yeah. And that maybe that is why people are, they're like, look, I'll tell you what I did, but like, are you willing to put in like the time and dedication and like all the sacrifice to actually like get the results I did? Yeah, for sure. That's a good point. And then just be logical. Think for yourself. So those are your, I don't know. How do you feel about those takeaways? Strong to quite strong? Strong. Hmm. Strong. Okay, cool. Yeah. Okay. Well, we have another awesome show coming up next week. It's Nick Littlehales, sleep performance coach to the stars. <laughs> <laughs> He's worked with everybody. It's or a lot, a lot of people, a lot of big names, uh, especially within uh, European professional sports, soccer, cycling. Um, I was so, so happy to get him on the podcast this early. So mm -hmm. that's a really great one. I can't wait for people to hear that. And uh, as always, folks, let us know what you think. If you would leave us a rating uh, and a review would be nice. <laughs> and uh, we appreciate it. So I don't know anything, anything before we sign off. Um, stay safe and healthy. Stay safe and healthy. That's a good point. All right, everybody. We will talk to you next week. Bye.